Hello, welcome to the 16th episode of the Science Basement Podcast. And last episode of season one. That's true, we're going on a vacay. Yeah, <laughs> we keep reminding everybody that we're going on a vacay. Yes. We will come back at some point in August or yeah. early September. Yeah, so yeah, don't, don't miss us too much. Yeah. Um, our guest, let's go straight to our guest. This time we have uh, Andrew House, who is a PhD student in wildlife biology at the University of Helsinki, and he is working on something really, really particular fat composition in Atlantic salmon. So welcome, Andrew. Yes. Hi. Nice to be here. Yeah, welcome. Can you tell us in really basic terms, what exactly do you do? Okay, so in really basic terms, I am going to be looking at fat composition uh, in development of Atlantic salmon uh, through a period of about two and a half years. So I have been looking at the fish from post-fertilization and I'll be looking um, hopefully up to the first stage of some of the maturity of some of the male par and identifying uh, how much fat is uh, stored and synthesized in, in the fish. But why fat? What, what's interesting about the fat? So I guess to get into more detail about the reason why I'm looking at this very specific thing is that my research group found a gene um, many, several years ago, and it's related to size and age at which Atlantic salmon become sexually mature. So this gene has also been found to be involved, of course, in a lot of other species, um, specifically in cell cultures of, of uh, mice. Uh, it found to um, inhibit uh, fat accumulation, and it's also been linked to puberty in humans. So therefore, we thought if we we're going to understand this gene in a lot greater detail and understand its, its significant significance in maturation, uh, we might as well look to see if it uh, affects uh, fat composition and storage in the Atlantic salmon. And because we don't actually know when that's happening, we're starting at the very base, like very uh, beginning, like a very uh, a very early early, early stage. stage of like post fertilization, because we want to be able to see. If we can identify any changes uh, between between our fish uh, throughout development and growth when we uh, have larger fish, but I guess another thing uh, important to say is that we're able to know which uh, variation of this gene they have. So this gene in the wild has um, is linked to, like I said, the size and age of maturity. So therefore, when the fish start um, becoming sexually mature at a younger age, they're actually smaller because each year they spend a sea, they're like almost doubling in size. So therefore, we're able to have these early maturing fish and also the late maturing fish. So therefore, we're trying to understand what's happening between the fish. So a lot of people are doing a lot of gene expression studies and looking at some quantitative genetic stuff, but I'm basically just looking at this ge uh, genetic role of this lipid composition, uh, which are the fats, uh, like I said, through development. So is this the, the purpose of this study to study how this gene is developing in, in the salmon uh, because like in the salmon as uh, inhabitant of the wildlife of the Atlantic or does it have any application for the fishing and eating the salmon? Oh, it has huge applications uh, for that. 
So basically, most of our, our work will be able to influence uh, how Atlantic salmon are managed, especially in hatcheries here in Finland, because they don't actually have any um, aquaculture facilities where they raise the salmon for meat production. They do all the studies where they they take wild-caught salmon, they breed them through generations, and then they just uh, have offspring and they release them back into the rivers. So they keep the river stocked, mainly for fishing. But like this actually, I mean, we have collaborators in Norway where aquaculture facility is huge. So this has direct implications to how they're going to manage their salmon in aquaculture. And like I said, um, it's actually such a, uh, by, I, by knowing what this gene's role is, we're actually able to really influence and make a change with, with future populations because historically they haven't been, like I guess you could say genetically managed. They've just been managed by like uh, eyesight. If you see a big salmon, sometimes you would throw it in there. But we've been realizing that uh, there's been a lot of inbreeding. And then, of course, um, because they need these wild populations to bring genetic diversity and by them becoming smaller, we're realizing that it's only going to hurt the aquaculture industry because you can't get as much salmon or produce, I guess, as much salmon for eating um, if you're not able to, uh, to understand what's influencing, uh, maturation. Okay. And you said you were working with fish that are post-fertilized for post-fertilization. Yes. So does that mean you're, you mean that fish that have already been, like are pregnant? Or so, so, okay. So basically <laughs> last fall, we went to a few hatcheries here in Finland and we collected gametes. So we got sperm and eggs and we came back to... Helsinki and we actually um, fertilized the eggs with the, fe the, the males we wanted. So like as soon as that happened, we started taking samples immediately. Um, not for my study in particular, but for our group. And then about um, uh, a month after post-fertilization, I started sampling for my uh, study to start identifying um, different lipid uh, uh, species. For instance, like looking at... Uh, uh, structural lipids uh, that are important for different tissue formations and then I did at different uh, time points sampled as they developed so there was like a while they were still in the egg I took samples and then once they hatched I took more samples and then the last sampling I did uh, in May it was when the fish were ready to start feeding so they were actually like swimming around before oh, that they were so just, you like, have actually egg. seen the salmons like being born Oh, exactly. How yeah. does a baby salmon look? Ah, uh, well, it's... <laughs> oh, you have to tell us. How does it look in words? Uh, it's actually a really cute fish, I think. <laughs> like, they're actually quite colorful, like brown and yellow. And, and it's actually really cool when they have, like, the yolk sac still attached. They, they're like these, like, really cool uh, lipid droplets mm -hmm. that are, like, like really bright orange. Okay. So, like, they're, they're really nice to see, like, still attached to to the to the fish so if you're working if you're taking material away from the from the fish when it's still an egg i guess it's not very intrusive what you're doing i mean you, you ha, what's the method of how do you extract the lipid so when they're still in the egg we had to like remove the actual chorion which is the outside layer of the egg and then we actually just take the embryo off of the yolk sac and then we just like freeze that whole fish so we'll do like the whole lipid extractions, running it on like mass spec and uh, thin layer chromatography later. But right now we just have like these frozen embryos and we've just been freezing each of our samples. Okay. Yeah. And what's the quantity of fish that you're working with? Uh, well, uh, so far I have 
2,000 samples to process. Mm -hmm. But then right now we have, I have 4,500 fish uh, at our biological station that we're raising. We put them in there in March and they'll be there until the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we'll sample them at three or four different time points. And the harsh reality is that all of them are going to be euthanized for my project. But hopefully by the end of it, we'll be able to actually have mature fish to be able to link from this very early uh, developmental stages to this actual male maturation. So they are all, they are all males? No, 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 no. So we're probably only... So we don't have the facilities to be able to... Differentiate. No, no. Uh, we have males and females, of course. Because uh, there are thousands of embryos, and but we're only going to be able to identify uh, mature males because it takes the females longer to mature. Oh, so okay. because the, we can you can have mature like gonads developed, but it's not really the females. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why it'll only be like mature male par versus mature females. And our facilities are to like so we're only working in in freshwater systems, and ideally, like if you know the life cycle of salmon. They spend half their life cycle in freshwater, and then they go live actually the majority of their life in the sea, in some type of saltwater system, and they migrate back up the rivers. So we're only able to do the very beginning of their life cycle because it, it's just we don't have the facility to have saltwater, and then it would also it takes like five to ten years for this whole this whole process to take place. So therefore, we're just trying to do as much as we can, understanding this like early early effects on maturation so 10 so how long is the life expectancy for salmon uh i mean depending i mean in the wild probably around eight years okay. there are some some fish like in the hatcheries that have, are like over 10 years old so it really just i mean it kind of depends okay. but it's a really long life cycle because like i mean by the end of my time here probably will only have maybe we'll still have fish that are less than one kilogram so they're not even going to be big if you think of salmon they can be like 25 kilos so like yeah, our big yeah so oh, our yeah, fish are know. not gonna be that big at all i didn't know that's more than my dog <laughs> yeah i mean that's all of course like i said that's these late maturing salmon that are 25 okay. kilos the ones I'm trying to remember uh, we weighed so many salmon in these hatcheries in Finland last fall, and I can't remember how much they weighed, but they were definitely not 25 kilos. I think they were maybe like five kilos. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, that's still a lot, but I would say five kilos. <laughs> Don't quote me because I can't exactly remember, but they were, I mean, almost like a meter long, getting close to a meter long. Okay. I mean, over half a meter for sure, like 75 centimeters. Mm-hmm. So do you know in this in this like when you are in salmon farms, how long does it take to get the fish ready for like food consumption? Do you know? Um, um I mean, salmon. they feed them optimal diets. So I mean, it still takes four or five years. Okay. Yeah. So it's not a fast process either, especially with salmon. Mm -hmm. I mean, because the thing about it is, so in the wild, um, especially I would use Finland as, as an example since we're here. If the salmon lay the eggs and they're fertilized in these gravel beds in a river in Finland, they stay there basically dormant because the water is so cold because they develop, they develop based on water temperature. So when it's like almost freezing, they're basically just dormant for four or five months until it starts warming up again. And then, when, then they start developing and then they'll hatch late spring. And that's like what kind of where we were starting in March. So like, 
it just they have and then of course when it gets cold again in the winter it takes forever so i mean it's mm-hmm. many many years for them like in the wild even to get to get big and mature okay yeah. And and you said that uh, the facilities can't reach the optimum salinity of the water uh, for a period of like after two years on uh, in the during well, their life. But does that mean that salmons uh, need a different salinity of water through uh, different stages of their life? Well, they do. I mean, that's where they go and live. But I mean, there are there are cases where they. I mean, they can live in freshwater their entire mm-hmm. life. Like we are going to have fish post my study that are just there being oh. fed and they're going to hopefully get to be, I mean, I don't know, I can't <laughs> see <laughs> to be a decent size, but mm-hmm. not to have like the accurate life cycle because it's just very normal for them to go out to the sea. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's like, uh, I mean, the river, uh, maybe it's like food abundance and it's just, they're able to have more space in the oceans and like the Baltic sea. Okay, so salmon they they like migrate from freshwater to, to, to the water. sea. Oh, yeah. okay, during and their then life. Back up okay. Their home river. Yeah, but isn't salmon the fish that is famous for like jumping over the waterfalls? Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the bear catches them. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is them. So where do we? Where can we find this uh, Atlantic salmon in uh, wildlife? Like wildlife in wild nature. In wild nature. Um. Well, you can go fishing here in Finland. There's mm-hmm. several rivers that have them. It's so do quite we hard. Have, do we have Atlantic salmon in the Baltic, the Baltic Sea? You do, yes. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, you have a lot of them. And then, of course, there are rivers that flow into the Atlantic from Norway. Yeah. Uh, actually, the population of fish that I'm specifically studying is actually the river that flows through St. Petersburg mm. into the Baltic. Yeah, wow. That's its historical origin. I mean, it's been several generations moved that I have fish now, but... I think maybe the grandparents' parents came from that river. Oh. So. Do your fish have some difference from the wild fish because they're in a lab, in a way, or in a station? Um, of course they do, but we've tried to have populations that have um, some sort of wild origin so that... Because the idea is that we're, we're trying to almost... Uh, Recreate, that's the word. We're trying to recreate the, the wild settings with like temperature of water, um, daylight, and do everything else. But of course, you know, we're feeding them like manufactured food. So it's not just like we're feeding them live prey because we are trying. I mean, it's, it's, we're trying to control exactly what they eat and trying to have it as equal as possible between tanks because we have so many fish. So it's really only so much we can do. And of course, there are differences, but. I mean, that's like, I guess, one of the drawbacks of, of doing these types of experiments is because you can really only can control so much when you're, when you're working with live animals. You do the best you can. And like, for instance, in Lummi, we're having a bit of trouble with like tip- lake water temperature because we're using lake water and we can't, you know, put a cooler or a heater on the full, the total lake and, <laughs> you know, make sure the water stays at a certain temperature. But, but yeah, I mean, we're hoping to simulate as wild conditions as possible i mean of course like current isn't the same either but but yeah i mean there are differences but we're we're you know we're confident that it's not as it's not that different that when we see changes of course like with this genotype effect and in this for instance is like a fat accumulation throughout two years we're we're hoping we're we're able to like relate that to like wild populations 
So you basically spend your research life between going to visit your fish and then the lab. To exactly, yeah. Okay, yes. so how does, how does one... Okay, let's imagine you're one day <laughs> with the fish and one day in the lab. Describe these two to do possible days. How well, do they look like? With the fish, it's like really hands-on. It's like doing a lot of like little dirty work, cleaning tanks, making sure the temperatures are stable, recording temperature. Uh, I don't know, it's just feeding the fish if I have to. I mean, it's doing a lot of that type of stuff. It's just very like routine, daily based versus in the lab. It's working through protocols. It's analyzing the data. I mean, I'm, only, I'm in the very beginning stages of these like lipid extractions. So right now I've been trying to get like protocol, the protocol like optimized for my samples. So to me, it's like, I mean, it's almost like quite relaxing to go work with the fish. <laughs> I mean, it's stressful because I don't want them to die, but then it's like re more relaxed than like you really have to think, you know, when I'm in the lab and like when you're pipetting or, or doing something. So like you, you have done the extracting of the lipids from the samples? Uh, I've done preliminary samples, yes. How, how, that, how, how does that work? Ah, so it's, so far we've been trying, so okay, so I guess I could say that we're trying to uh, truly understand what the gene's doing. And we're trying to be able to get this like phenotypic data, which is like lipid amounts and which cl classes of lipids are present versus looking at this like genotypic data looking. Uh, so we're able to look at like what genes are expressed and also relate that back to what I find with the lipids. So we're, we're trying a lot of different protocols looking like applying different chemicals to these biological samples. And it's always like this phase separation um, because um, I don't know if you know much about lipids, but there, it's very critical, you know, like polarity of your solutions and, and lipids are, can be very polar and nonpolar um, depending on the species. So we try to use the, so it's been quite difficult trying to understand, like get a good protocol to be able to get all of, all of the lipids we want and also be able to have like DNA and RNA from the same samples. What, what does it mean, uh, a lipid being polar or nonpolar? Basically, there's like a hydrophobic and a hydrophilic end on, on lipids. So if you think of like, I guess like the very simple um, water description is like soap and water, mm -hmm. like the way soap, it like forms these like micelles and they, that's how it like doesn't mix with water. So lipids are like the same mm. and depending on the species and depending on the polarity, uh, the lipids will um, either stay separate in the solution or, or they will actually dissolve. Yeah. Okay. okay. So you, you have this really critical because they're, I mean, it's, that's the mess of the hardest part, of, I guess, working with lipids is that we want to see total lipid composition, but it's not just you have like one polarity of lipids that we want to see. It's like, oh, we have to worry about these negative lipids and these positive lipids. And we also have neutral lipids. And it's, uh, it just it makes like the brain hurt thinking about it because it's really hard to sometimes analyze your samples to end up seeing all of them too. So a lot of it, a lot of it's just like pre-work, hoping they're there. And then whenever you can get your hand on the machine, like the mass spectrometry or the chromatography, and then you actually see if you have them present. So it actually ends up taking a while because when you want to optimize the protocols, you need to like fully analyze one sample and then say, okay, what can I do better to get this class of lipids that I don't actually see because we expect them to be there. So then you have to go back and rerun the extraction and then do everything else. So you've oh. mentioned this word protocol. I take, because I don't actually, I've never worked with that. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> this is where I in the physics lab and they were just like, do this. Hmm. So is it some sort of step-by-step -step guide? Of what yeah, like a step-by-step, -step, yeah. 
it tells you like you know first like homogenize the sample okay. like crush the sample and then add this solution and okay. it's like a step by step would that be if you write your research paper would that would you include the protocol you do yeah okay. i mean it depends on like for instance like this like one lipid extraction I, the papers i see it like cited in it's always decided to this paper because it's like the famous oh, okay. lipid extraction <laughs> but it's of course like kind of specifics that vary from that of course you would include that in your okay. in your protocol i mean in your research paper yeah oh okay yeah that's interesting your recipe yes <laughs> yeah, so it's basically yeah it's what it is just a recipe to and the, the only one i'm used to use here is the the protocol of how to use the poster printer <laughs> i mean that's, yeah that's the that's a good turn the computer on yeah and so on Actually, before come, uh, yeah, preparing for this episode, I was reading some news about salmon. And then I read that, because I think uh, farmed salmon get fed some pellets. Mm-hmm. And actually that their color would be a bit grayish. Well, anyway. But then I read that now a, an idea is to feed them insects. So that it would be more like sustainable. No, I mean, I mean, I think that's the harsh like uh, critique that everyone says about aquaculture is that, so yes, fish are... They're they're very efficient with what they eat, but they're not sustainable with like production of food because they need so much food when you produce them in these big aquaculture facilities. So I mean, ideally, like I mean, insects would be good, and like even for us, like sometimes we I mean we actually gave them all some some like really small insects when they first like started wanting to feed because oh. we wanted to like have that present in the tanks to kind of like kickstart them to start wanting to eat the pellets. So I mean that is actually a really good like alternative to. I mean they're starting feeding. to feed insects to humans, so. So give yeah, it a yeah, few yeah, years and. I like, know, but that was like the salmon too. You know, it's like <laughs> salmon going hipster as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eating crickets. Yeah, but I think that's something too. Like, everyone's always you know fisheries because like if you want to feed them live fish, a lot of people you need to go catch the fish in the ocean, and then bring them to the facility. So like realistically, it's quite a weird situation because yeah you 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 kill fish to feed other fish fish to feed other fish and then it's if you think about like uh environmental uh environmentally yeah it's all i mean it's not as i mean i don't know i don't want to say facts because i'm not a terrestrial biologist either but like it's almost maybe just as bad as eating other animals but Mm. but anyway well i think it's just also your yeah it's more of my opinion as well Yeah, yeah definitely Shall we shall we go to the game? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's so, Cytagory. Oh gosh. Expl- explain <laughs> the rules, stuff. Yes. So we have this game called Cytagory, named by Erica, and our five <laughs> categories. You'll generate a random letter, and from that letter, we have to come up with the answers to each category. And the categories are what you find in the ocean, obviously because you're working with fish. Yes. Um, the second one is names of fish, which I I don't I mean salmon. But, um, the, the, the thing the thing I'm going I'm going to to there is also tuna fish. Oh yeah. The thing I'm going like uh, hopeful with is that he's a native English speaker, so 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 he should know some of fish. some names of fish. Um, then oh, the third one. <laughs> the third one is differences in research between America and Europe because you are American. The fourth one is challenges to face when you start your PhD because it's your first year. Right. PhD. Okay. And the fifth is snacks and beverages to consume while doing research. 
And yes. now we're actually drinking coffee. And that's, now we're that's drinking like coffee, our, yes. That's My coffee is over. I'm so sad. <laughs> I needed some coffee during, during Saitagori, but okay. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, so, if you generate the letter, then I will start with the timer. And you get two minutes. So you can just click and then you'll get a random. Click on the bottom. Oh no, why? why? <laughs> This wow. is hard. Why? Yes, it is. But oh, why, why? Okay, three, two, one. Let's start. Okay. Um, what do you find in the ocean? Uh, yellow fish. Yellow fish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really too, too vague. Yeast? What? Um, I was the next one named to fish. Oh, gosh. Fish with why? Why so bad? Differences in research? Between, between America and Europe. Europe. Ah, oh, this this letter is not giving me input right now. Challenges when you start your PhD. I can't even think your of your right free now. time, your free time um, is gone. Your free time is gone. <laughs> now you now you started your PhD. Your life is over now. You don't. This one's yogurt. Let's go with yogurt. Oh, okay. Yogurt. Snacks. Oh, yes. That's true. I, yeah, because it's easy to like. I'm just trying to think of why word right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yogurt. What think about anything. Yellow algae, it's a yellow, yellow seaweed, <laughs> yellow, yellow coral, <laughs> yellow, yellow, yellow fish. Is that there must Why be not? Some, there, must be some, there must be some yellow uh, fish. Challenges oh. facing such a PhD. Um, Any challenge you faced? Yep. Well, we were, we have all started our PhD, so we, we all faced challenge. Uh, uh, I want another word, I mean, another letter. <laughs> We will yeah, go around to it at some yeah. point. And then and then also fish with wine. I'm no I don't know why. I don't know. You can put yellow fish there as well. <laughs> That's not names. And um, uh, your challenges when you start your PhD. Oh my gosh. You know, yeah. but like times your your time scheduling. Can we say your? Yeah, so your. Sure, gay. You make the rules. <laughs> we your. we we are professional category cheaters. <laughs> yes. Your uh, schedule gets messed up. Yes. Yeah, okay. your schedule gets messed up. Okay, we did three out of five for an hour. Oh, yellowfish. I don't know if that's. Oh, hey, whatever. you do find yellowfish in the That's ocean. true. Then, uh, yes. No. Fish comes in a lot of colors. That's true. Okay. Okay. To forget about this big fail, let's go straight to round two. Yeah, yes. I don't like that. And let's 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 come clean. From okay. Oh. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. You like oh? Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure if I like oh, but okay. Um. Timer starts in three, two, one. Now. What you find in the ocean? Uh, ocean. 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 <laughs> um, orange fish. No, orange. Yeah. <laughs> Names of fish. Um. What? Difference in research. Difference in research between US oh, and uh, Organization. Okay. Oh, yes. Like the organization of the PhD. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. It's very, very true. PhD. Um, organization. <laughs> of your, of your overworked. Overwork. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, you feel overwork all the time. Yes. Uh, Snacks and beverages. Uh, oh. What do you find? Oatmeal, milk. Oatmeal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you find in the ocean? Oh yeah, oatmeal. Yeah, what you find in the ocean? Um, Orange fish. Organisms. Ocean. Organisms. Oh, that's good. Organisms. <laughs> and now the name of a fish with O, and we have exactly one minute. 
Oh, to think about the name of Oh, bad. wait. What you find in the ocean? Octopus. Octopus. There That's we go. That's the name of a fish. No, it's not a fish. It's not a... No? No. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. What, what, what is that? What is an octopus? What is it? A spider. I don't know. A spider. <laughs> it's a water spider. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> it's not a fish, for sure. Okay. So we I have... think it's maybe related to, like, because uh, it lays eggs, so it's... Well, Something along the line of it's like is it's an invertebrate as well? Like it doesn't have any bones. Mm, no, yeah, that's true. mollusk. Mollusk. So no, it's like a crustacean. Ah, so it's, it's like something. It's, yeah, it's, it's like a mussel. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we have ten seconds. Um, name of a fish. Um, okay, now ten. Uh oh, oh, I have it in so many other languages, not in English. You know, <laughs> no one? fish in another language. <laughs> I know a name of a fish in Italian, for example, orata. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Now you can explain what that we is. Can't, we can't. What is Orata? I have no idea. What's it look like? I am, I have no idea. I have really no idea. I, you know that we, you have these names in your mind that pop up at some point? Let me see. What, we can't do it. in. That's one rule. We can't do it in other languages. So. Oh, but... But I have to Google what it we is. We need to see what it is. Orata. Sea Bream. Oh, okay. Sea Bream. I have no yeah, idea. That doesn't that count. Because <laughs> it's... No. Um, and you, you said organization. So what? what do you mean by that? Differences in research. Oh, uh, it's like also in the, the way. Also it's... in the PhD itself, in the in the US, it's it's organized in a different way, right? Like there is yeah. a midterm. Like to be honest, I mean, I think it's quite. To me, it's quite weird coming from the US. That technically, because I'm a doctoral student, I'm already a uh, candidate for doctoracy, mm-hmm. your doctoral degree, mm-hmm. because like you're accepted, so you, I could publish starting tomorrow and then be done very soon. But in the US, it's like. You have to come in and take certain classes and then you start to research and then you have to pass like comps, which are these like written exams. Oh. And then you have to pass the defense and th- or the comps. Then, if you pass the comps, then you're like a candidate candidate and then you have to pass your defense to get it. So it's like all, oh, it's okay. all quite a bit okay. weird. And I think there's another defense like halfway through or something or at the oh. beginning, like defending your, the, your proposal. Yeah. Okay. And you I still pay tuition fees during your PhD, right? Well... You get these like exempts, mm-hmm. but it's because you're technically a student there. That's another thing that's like with this organization, like you're technically a student and here, well, yeah, no, you're, you're, not definitely, you're like an employee of the university yeah, exactly. and like a researcher. Not, I mean, yeah. it's kind of weird. You're in the student. You can be like a, in the student organization, but yeah, you're, but you're, you're like definitely considered stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're considered yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 But even like research wise, I find that it's, it's quite, uh, quite different here. Like just general research that I've seen, it's um, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just weird with my group, but I find that it's it's very collaborative. Where it's like maybe the groups don't actually do the same thing, but they're like labs side by side, and like the research experience I've had, like of course there's some collaboration going on, but for the most part, actually people like have their lab and they do everything in their lab, and mm-hmm. like the next door that's like completely not connected is another lab <laughs> and here it's like you know because our like our labs are just like back to back and like the genetics group so it's like we see them walking by our door all the time mm-hmm. so I, I just find that's a bit diff- a big a big difference mm-hmm. okay yeah round three. Oh yeah okay <laughs> okay like to try to write this another round Stephanie has lost the page I was looking at the octopus thing <laughs> okay so third letter I oh no maybe it's oh, easier okay oh no I don't know okay timer in three two one now 
Mm. What you find in the ocean? Uh, uh, ice. Ice. Ooh. Like icebergs. That even icebergs. sounds better. Types of fish. Uh, <laughs> I would just say uh. uh no, well, there's just some. There's just one Antarctic fish. It's like some ice something, but oh, that's true. But, but ice but fish. I, yeah, yeah, but ice uh, fish. I'll come back. Differences in in the in the thing. institutions. 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 Feeling so face. smart right now. Yeah. Um, Challenges to face. Um, uh, independence. Oh yeah. Yes. Independence. Snacks and beverages. Snacks. Uh, I. Uh, Snacks and beverages. Can't think. Ice of cream. Yeah. Ice cream. <laughs> yes. I've got to get a name of a fish. This is first with an I. Uh, we still haven't found any any fish. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I. We have. We have forty seconds. Okay, forty seconds. Focus, everybody. Let's think Name about the fish it. that starts with I. Uh, I'm just so bad with me. <laughs> He's going. Andrew's going through all the fish that I know. That you know. I'm to think. Go for it. Is um. I, Ish. So fish, fish without F. Ish. Ish. Names of fish. We give up. I, 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 I can't think hard. of anything. I think we can just give up. But now I'm thinking most fish, I thought they start with S. Because I'm, I'm thinking there's so many fish that start with S. I know one with H. H would have been great for this round herring. And yes. Okay. We don't know any other fish apart from salmon, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, I guess, I guess I'm focused. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, that means that you're really, really thinking about your, 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 your fish. <laughs> okay. Do you ever get to consider, like, since you've seen, like, most of your salmon, like, actually, you know, being born, come to life, do you consider them a bit like your babies? Is it hard or like, to fish? Well, or like, do you, or there's like, just do so you just... many of them. <laughs> People always ask me, do I name them? And I'm like, I would have to name them all the same name because I can never <laughs> tell them apart. But no, I mean, I'm definitely connected to them, but more of just like, I need them for my life to be alive. So it's like, I care for them like that, but I don't know, not like my babies really. Okay. But I am very happy to watch them develop. Okay. Yeah, it was quite amazing because I've never, I mean, I've done a bit of developmental stuff, but... Like I was like dissecting at like each like individual stage, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you got a new uh, like spinal cord ring basically <laughs> or something. Uh, it was like it's like the coolest thing, and you saw them when they got the scales and the skin and mm. the scales. Oh, wow. You saw them when they got the skin, yeah. Do you take photographs of these different stages? We do actually. Yeah, we were taking photographs during all our dissections with these like nice microscope. Is there, like for is, publications for presentations to be able to use. The, does your group have a page that we can maybe link? Uh, we have our university website. Okay, yeah, we can probably link that one. But I don't really know if it has any cool photos. <laughs> yeah, but, you should send us some cool photos of your son. Yeah, there's some really cool, like, I have some really cool, like, uh, egg photos where you can actually see the fish basically in the egg. Oh. And then it's just like, there's like, they're all 
next to each other. So it's like a hundred eggs and you can see like the individual fish and you can see them getting their eyes. So it was like a really cool photo. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But thank you very much, Andrew, for, for talking to us about uh, Atlantic salmon and fat, fat slash lipid composition and uh, all the field work that you, that you do. <laughs> field work and lab work that you do and now we go towards the final section of the episode which is the science anecdote and since this time it was my turn to select the anecdote and as you probably might know i'm a very space fan we are talking about fish in space so as you know like going going to space like when humans go to space and for example they are in the international space station they have very serious um consequences on their body and especially on their bone structure uh so and this is actually an experiment which was led by not by isa not by nasa by that but but by YAXA, which is a Japanese space agency. They decided to study the effects of life aboard the ISS, the International Space Station, for a a small batch of medaka fish, which is a kind of Japanese fish. It's it's actually known also as Japanese rice fish. And they are basically very small fish, which are also transparent. So it was really easy for the researchers to follow, to see through their through their skin and to see like also their bones. Uh, Yeah, so the scientists had a very clear view of the bones and the guts of the fish as they were adjusting to life in space. Uh, So the point of this study was to study the effect of microgravity on the fish. And what it turned out to be is that it happened exactly what happens uh, to humans. Uh, but the effects are much faster in this fish compared to humans. So for for humans, it takes a bit, about 10 days for the effects of microgravity to show up. But for the fish, it started to... So this, the fish started to lose the, their bone density almost this Im- immediately as the okay. spacecraft reached orbit. So what did they do was to... Uh, scientists were uh, looking at fish from from space in uh, cameras and then they had a comparison batch of fish on earth and in order to get a closer look at the fish they genetically modified them so the two different types of cell would glow under different kinds of light so they went to this tank on the ISS and the lab at the Tsukuba Space Center was using these two different fluorescent lights to, to control uh, the fish. And, and, and yeah, so the fish reacted super quickly to the new living situation in, in orbit and the researchers were able to observe the effects in real time, like seeing all these glowing cells. Mm-hmm. And apparently there is a next batch of fish astronauts going up at some point soon. Wow. <laughs> you have all kinds of animals. Yeah, there have been a lot of animals in space. Like, well, I mean, the first one was a dog. Yeah. <laughs> I was just picturing like a fish with a. Oh, with the, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, super cute. And would they be called astronauts? Because isn't it like fish and out, fish and out, fish and out? I don't know. <laughs> but like fish in Russia, they're called cosmonauts. No, I yeah. don't know. Chinese are called. I have not yet what the Chinese Oh, because of, they call themselves something different. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. astronauts, I think, were the non-Russian Chinese ones. <laughs> we, should, we should call them fishernauts. Yeah. Fishernauts. Fishernauts. Okay, so, yeah. 
So fish are doing a lot of stuff. They yeah. also go to space. <laughs> <laughs> they're That's everywhere. Really cool. I guess if they're no longer on Earth, we can just send them all to space, right? Yeah, yeah. Or like, yeah. <laughs> okay, but yeah. Thank you very much again, Andrew. And thank you, Stephanie. Thank uh, you, Andrew, for joining yes. us. And it's my pleasure. Thanks also to our listeners to, for listening to the first season of Design Basement Podcast. Yes, 15 uh, episodes. 16. 16, sorry. I think it's cool that I'm the season finale. Yes! <laughs> season finale, yes! True! <laughs> so have a nice summer, everyone, and see you at the end of the summer. Yeah. Bye. Next, next semester. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye. The science basement!